Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is John Nematic. And John is President and Chief Operating Officer at Saviandina Cannabis Organics. And we're going to yes. learn a little bit more about what he's doing, particularly in Latin America and South America uh, in the cannabis space. I'm excited for this. John, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So I always like to start with getting to know people a little bit in terms of their background before they kind of got into the cannabis space. I know you've had a, a history as an entrepreneur in the kind of early stage startup space and tech space. Let's hear a little bit about that. And then we can kind of, we can dig into the cannabis side and what you're doing there. Sure. In my prior life, I was chairman, CEO, and president of three different internet companies that were actually taken public. First one was Internet Direct. It was a simple IDX in Toronto. Then we had a company called Two Cows that we created, <laughs> uh, worked with some American partners. And then we created a company called Hostopia as well in 2000. We took it public on the Toronto Stock Exchange under symbol H, raised 29.2 plus the green shoes. So after that, we ca- and then we were taken out by a company called Deluxe Communications for 124 US. And that's how I ended up in Panama, enjoying my life, sitting by the dock, you know, drinking yeah. lots of margaritas and so forth. Uh, about three years ago, my wife is a medical doctor, and yeah. she specializes in anti-aging medicine and stem cell technology. And uh, we were talking about business opportunities, and I asked her, said, you know, like, what are the two key ways that you can reduce, extend lifespan, right, and, you know, improve health and reduce disease? And she said, well, there's a number of things, but two of the key ways is to increase the length of the telomerases on your chromosomes. And I thought, okay. well, that's interesting. <laughs> she said, but also reduce inflammation, right? And I said, yeah. really? She goes, and too bad that we can't use cannabinoids because they're very effective at reducing inflammation. And I thought, wow. 
that was kind of like when the light bulb went on, right? And yeah. then I started exploring that those opportunities. I started investing in some early Canadian companies back in you know 2015 to 16. Of course, they did very well on that, right? But uh, you know, not enough to really move the needle for me financially, but enough to make it very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I was offered an opportunity to join the capacity as an executive at a senior level in a Canadian cannabis-based company on the agricultural side. But when I looked at the economics of it, I thought to myself, well, this is okay, but this is really not a sustainable business model because the costs are just frankly too high, you know, from dollar to dollar fifty. That's not to say there isn't space on the um, craft side, but if you're talking just generics, if you're just talking on a commoditized basis, right? It's just too high. Yeah. Columbia was going to start legalization, and they were going to start permitting for medical purposes. And that's when I got involved approximately two years ago in Colombia in the licensing process and learning how to obtain licenses and learning how to start businesses there. It helps that my wife, in addition to being a medical doctor, is also a Colombian citizen, uh-huh. and she has extensive family in Colombia. So I'm not going in there naked, which... By the way, I would recommend to anybody, if you don't have good partners in Colombia, <laughs> you know, it's a great place to start with two million and end up with one. You know? yeah. <laughs> Interesting. I guess, what have you noticed about the Colombia market, the South American market when it comes to cannabis? I mean, I guess, I guess level set us here. Where are some of these countries in terms of you know, cannabis legalization, cannabis history. I mean, are, are they are, are they pro cannabis at this point? Where do things stand? Well, Colombia is, of course, famous for being one of the world's largest producers of illicit cannabis, yeah. and. Uh, the quality was actually considered quite good back in the 70s and 80s. Uh-huh. Um, but because of the drug wars and because of the other issues, you know, the government was, you know, sort of anti-drugs. And then cannabis was lumped in there for the longest period of time. But within the country itself, there was extensive use. And yeah. if for religious purposes, you could use it as well. So to make a long story short, the government decided about you know, I guess maybe three years ago, they said, look, you know, we have this uh, black market sector, we've got all this money that's being produced, and we have people that are saying, look, you know, make it legal, and we're happy to go into the green market, so to speak. We're happy to pay our taxes and go home and sleep at night comfortably. Yeah. And so they, they started doing the numbers and realized that there's an opportunity to make billions. And Colombia in particular is ideally suited for producing cannabis, in particular uh, sativa strains, due to the proximity to the equator, uh-huh. 12 hours of sunshine on, 12 off, ideal soils. You're at high altitudes, which really helps a lot in terms of getting full spectrum sunlight. Yeah. And also the cost of production. I mean, in Toronto, if you can break the buck in Canada, that is, if you can produce under a dollar a gram, you're considered golden. Yeah. In Colombia, you can produce for under 20 cents a gram, no problem. We could do wow. it at one hectare. And, you know, a lot of people ask me, how is that possible? And I said, it's very simple. You know, you can go to Toronto, you can open a warehouse, right? You can plant coconuts and you can have a coconut grove, right? Yeah. <laughs> or you can do it in Colombia cheaper. This yeah. is all there is to it. So. And that's when I realized that Colombia was ideally positioned from the cultivation standpoint, but also Colombia's, re- Colombia's relationship with the United States in particular, being part of NATO, mm-hmm. uh, having strong relations to the U.S. government, having free trade agreements, and plus having uh, you know a large base population of 50 million people, having a lot of skilled doctors and engineers mm-hmm. and pharmacologists and so forth, it made it compelling. And Colombia is also known as one of the world's largest exporter of cut flowers. So if you go into an FDD florist in the United States, mm-hmm. But half yep. the flowers that you have there are from Colombia. And if to think if you think about the logistics of setting up the chains to take, you know, fresh cut flowers from one place and bring it within 48 hours somewhere else and to do so in a way that preserves the flowers. I mean, that's just amazing. And I thought, you know what, this is the kind of place I'd like to start. Yeah. I've looked at other South American countries. 
No question there are opportunities. Uruguay, of course, was one of the leaders in terms of going legal of yep. the recreational business. The only thing I would say about Uruguay is it's seven hours south of Bogota yeah. and that you're looking at a population of 2.9 million. And frankly, you know, they have they're, they're just not going to be, in my opinion, a world class producer, not because the people aren't good. They just don't have this infrastructure. Yeah. They don't have what's required. So yeah. Brazil, I'm looking at that opportunities there. I've looked at Ecuador and so forth, mm -hmm. but I, and Chile. But I can sincerely say Colombia right now is still the best place, in my opinion, on an overall base when yeah. you look at all the costs involved and look at the infrastructure and look at the logistics. So yeah. those are the things you have to consider. But those are the good side. There is the bad side in and there's the ugly, and I'm happy to chat about that too. Well, and, and by that, you mean in just terms of what it's like to do business in Colombia and, and how you okay. have to do business in Colombia? Well, I would say on the bad side is that you're still dealing with uh, a culture where some people are still anti-cannabis yep. uh, because of what's gone on, and and there's still some prejudice there. But uh, that is changing. Yeah. But I, you know, I don't want anybody to ever get the impression that everybody in Colombia is thrilled about this because there's some issues there. Yeah. Legalization will go through; it will continue. People will be brought into the green market. This is an unstoppable thing. Yeah. But to say there's no resistance. Well, this, I mean, that's somewhat similar to the U.S. too, though, right? I mean, sure. you know, we have we have a, a state by state, you know, system because we still have, you know, we we. we still have kind of legacy laws. We have legacy uh, opinions, uh, you know, kind of mindset around this. Uh, you know, I think I think we're still going through it. I mean, do you think it's kind of the same situation or is there something different about Colombia? No, I, I think it parallels the U.S. in that sense. Right. Yeah. But, you know, for me, but, the, you know, there's some people that have this impression that everybody's thrilled. And the answer yeah. is absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. I think don't, don't be don't don't be naive you know, in terms of where we are in the whole, not only legalization, but really cultural adoption or readoption exactly. of this stuff. Uh, and so it sounds like, I mean, this kind of combination of sort of the agricultural situation, the mm -hmm. relationship with the U.S., the infrastructure of transportation of these types of materials, agricultural right. materials, uh, and your personal connections has made, you know, this kind of a, a nice trifecta for you in terms of setting up our operations there. What, where do you see the market right now? I mean, uh, you know, we have all these kind of this, this drama in the U.S. about, you know, being able to transport, not transport these kind of materials. You know, the international market is opening. I mean, where are you hoping to be able to do business with the product that you're producing out of Columbia? Okay. First of all, I'm going to uh, use the baseball analogy, Bruce. Sure, uh, and I would say that we're in the first half of the first inning. Yeah. Literally, that's where we are. So we have a long ways to go. And if you think of 1934, when you had the decriminalization is what I would call it of alcohol consumption, right? Well, that was now legal and you had the rush to start the distillers and so forth, right? Well, multiply that by 10x. The cannabis market is going to be in the hundreds of billions. And when you think of the ingredients that are produced, how they're going to show up in anywhere from cosmetics to food products to material science, for example, hemp uh, is an extremely robust material for building materials in tropical environments. I mean, you could take a hemp block, compress it, it'll weigh less than concrete, it'll be stronger than concrete yeah. in terms of tensile strength, and you can go back 50 years and that block will be totally intact. Yeah. I mean, we all probably remember the days when ships used to use, you know, like, like yeah. Titanic, you would literally see those hemp ropes and they could yeah. resist salt. So it gives you an idea just how big this is going to be. This industry is going to be trillions, yeah. literally trillions. So from that perspective, obviously, we're very excited. Yeah. I would say that 
there's still going to be a lot that has to be done at the regulatory side. I mean, do we have an export market in the States right now? No, we don't. Yeah. Right. Because by the time the market opens, if you're not ready for it, then it's, in my opinion, already too late. Uh, Colombia will not allow the export of cut flowers. It's only going to be oils and derivatives. So you have to be okay. prepared to produce oil process, yeah. and process, and, and which is just is fine. And we're preparing for that. We're doing exactly that. So right now we could sell domestically and make some, you know, make some coin to keep us going. But yeah. There's going to be huge opportunities in Europe. I can't tell you how many Europeans have already contacted us and said, hey, we're really interested in working with you and bringing product in. Because in Europe, uh, frankly, especially in the northern parts, there's just not going to be cost competitive from the agricultural perspective. And they know that. Yeah. And also, there's the question of commoditization. And now that, while that will be a factor, I like to use the analogy of wines, okay? Over 90% of the wine sold in the United States sells for under $10 a bottle. Mm-hmm. But there are people that pay $2,000 for a good bottle of, you know, Clos Bordeaux. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And I mean, in the same way, there are certain cannabis strains. Like, we've, uh, we've um, registered over 50 strains. And there okay. are certain strains that, you know, sativas that will give you that wonderful cerebral high without the anxiety or the stress that some people feel when they consume something like that. That's what Colombia was always famous for. Huh. Particular cultivars, right, you know, thrive in Colombian soils. You could take a Colombian cultivar, plant it, say, in California and, and, and or in another country, and it'll be totally different. People don't know this about cannabis. They think, oh, it's the same seed, it's going to have the same product everywhere in the world. And that's absolutely not true. Yeah. So, conditions, climate conditions, growers, you know, how they cultivate it. There's so many factors. So this is an extremely complex plant, right? Yeah. And it's also a male-female plant, too. So the idea that it's like, you know, we have children, right? And, you know, maybe <laughs> we're married to the same person. We have three kids. Well, do the three kids all turn out the same? You know? Yeah. yeah. You, know, you know, cannabis is a lot like that. So there is a real art to this. And we believe that Colombia, because of uh, the altitude, for example, where our primary farm is located, it's over 2,000 meters above sea level, 7,000, almost 7,000 for the metrically challenged, right? <laughs> um, we're looking at approximately 2.2 times the level of intensity of sun that you would get at sea level. Interesting. And because you have this really wide spectrum that can't be duplicated by grow lights alone, you start to have certain CBDs, that are very rare CBDs that might express themselves. Uh, so so there's this belief, for example, that, you know, CBD is a generic term, but there's literally thousands of compounds. Yeah, yeah. And there are certain individual compounds like a CBCV or something like that. I'm just using that as an example that are extremely rare and cost a lot of money to produce and can be done in Colombia cheaply or yeah. cheaper, I should say. Yeah. yeah. What, so do you think do you think your play is um, you know, these kind of niche uh, products or harder to grow products that you you have a kind of geographic situational advantage around, or is it the kind of more mass production? You know, just you, you can drive the cost of production down because of the situation. I mean, I guess where do, where do you see the bigger opportunity, or are you still kind of playing fig- figuring out how things are going to play? Well, the market is going to be segmented into many different areas. Yeah. But in Colombia in particular, first of all, mass production is going to be huge. Now, I've been told in Africa they can do it for 10 or 20 percent less. But if you're talking, say, 10 cents a gram versus 8 cents a gram, I don't think the margins can make that much difference. Yeah. Because you have to take into account all the other factors, security, labor, and processing, and you know, transport. logistics, and networks, yeah, and exactly. transport, and so yeah. forth. Yeah. 
But also, I think there's going to be a room for craft producers that will come out with, say, you know, Santa Marta gold, you know, grown at 1,800 meters above sea level. (laughs) On the north side of the mountain. Right, you know, picked by Indians, you know, and their feet turn to full moon, right? Ferrets, ferrets that run around and collect it. Exactly, exactly. And to be perfectly fair, I mean, we've met with some of the indigenous peoples, right? And they don't do monoculture. They plant cannabis along with coffee and other things, and they just pick according to the natural cycles. And what they produce is actually... uh, Outstanding. So there's no question that this is going to be a segment for the connoisseurs. Uh, Now, talking, you know, flour, will flour eventually be exported from Colombia? I don't know, right? But if the government decides that's okay, that'll be one thing. But even the extracts themselves will be super interesting. So, and by the way, you can produce like, you know, hash, for example, or keef and and similar things like that. So there'll definitely be a market. So the answer is sky's the limit. Yeah. Well, and I think that, um, you know, because there's so much dynamics in the market, you know, we don't know really what's going to happen with the legislations and, uh, you know, agreements and stuff. I mean, being, being multifaceted right now is probably not a bad strategy. And then as, as things to play out, then you can kind of double down on the things that seem to be, you know, the best strategic kind of niches to focus on. Any other kind of learnings or insights that you've developed uh, to date in terms of setting up these businesses, getting involved? I mean, anything in terms of how you've been able to work with the government, how you've been able to work with, um, you know, the, the communities, the, the, you know, the people that are actually doing the growing and processing and stuff? Any, any realizations? Well, I would certainly say that if you choose to do business in Colombia, you really have to do your due diligence, okay? And understand that the ethics that people have, that some people have there is not what we may be accustomed to in North America. By that, I mean, you may have signed agreements, you might have everything in place. And then, you know, at the last minute, you know, 11th hour, 59th minute, they'll pull a fast one on you. I've had this happen to me a couple of times, right? And I've explained to them that, look, you know, this is our agreements. This is what we've said we're going to do. And you don't want to do it. Now you want to change it because you think we have too much and you don't have enough. And This is a mentality you have to deal with. So you have to really select your partners closely. The other thing, too, at the government level as well, this is not a country where you just walk in, spark up a joint and say, hey, that's a cool man. Have a puff. Right. As I say, there's still a deep conservatism there. And even my wife, you know, who understands the medical applications extremely well. Like I mentioned the savvy and Dean, I didn't and I don't want to tour her, but I'll just be direct. We're working with five doctors and three PhDs and we're creating medical compounds to deal with specific ill. And I'm happy to drill down at some other time on that if you like. And so we have our niche in mind. But I'm going to say that you really need to figure out who you're working with. I've already been burned twice. Yeah. And I thought I knew what I was doing. So I was, <laughs> and you've got an inside <laughs> scoop and you've been down there for a while. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. But, but I mean, the average Colombian, the average person is decent, but uh, it's also the sector we're in too. And it's yeah. just, uh, it's like seen as the wild west as well. Uh, people don't know how to handle it. And the other thing I found too, is that when it comes to recruiting labor, you have to have sort of a open mind about these things. Yeah. To give you an example, I was talking to a PhD agronomist, right? And I asked him, well, what's your experience? this and that. 
And he said, well, I work at the university. And I said, you know, that's fine, but you're an academic. And he said to me, well, I spent nine years in Calco. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. and the government knows this, but they're okay with this because they want to take these people out of the so-called black zone, you know, yeah. out of the illegal markets yeah. into the green, into the money. And yeah. so they're willing to allow that process to happen. And I give them a hundred percent support and they have a lot of courage doing that. Yeah. And Colombia for better or for worse, maybe because of the drugs wars, was awarded 44% of the world's quota for exporting psychoactives. Psychoactives, I want yeah. to emphasize that, right? And so, I mean, this is a great place to be if that's the segment that you're particularly interested in. Yeah, fascinating, Mark. I mean, I've spent a lot of time talking with you know folks in the U.S. and Canada that are mm-hmm. growing, but it, I think it gives me a better appreciation of some of the advantages or at least the dynamics mm-hmm. of growing in these other markets. I mean, I guess, how do you see these markets maturing? I mean, you know, Canada's blowing up right now. You know, mm-hmm. everyone's, you know, talking about these mass, you know, mass grows and, you know, large-scale production and everything. I mean, do you think they, how do you think that that's going to play out. Are we in a in a boom right now? Is this uh, sustainable? Do you think there's going to be a correction on some of these things? Have you already seen some of this correction? What's your take on kind of the Canadian market as being the big? I guess that's the biggest market I know of right now that is mm-hmm. in this heavy production mode. Well, first of all, the cannabis stocks make the old dot com stock look boring. In terms of <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, it really is yet. the wild yeah. west. And I think the Canadians will become world leaders in the sense that because they had an early start. They have experience with distribution, they have this experience with production. And my belief is that in three to four years, in two or three years, whenever it becomes legal at the federal level in the United States, that the, most of these Canadian companies will be takeover targets. So eventually, I think it will be primarily American companies that will yeah. dominate the market. That's my belief three to five years hence. In terms of the actual agricultural producers, I think that if you do identify craft strains, and you have good genetics and you control it. You know, if your cost is a dollar a gram, but you could market it, say, for 20 or 30, does it really make that much difference, yeah. right? Places like Columbia will be great from the commoditization standpoint, right? But for actual industrial hemp, I think the United States is going to be a world leader as well. It has the potential, I should say, to be yeah. a world leader. It's just your politicians. I mean, you had this guy <laughs> called Jeff Sessions or something. Yeah. You know, glad that Trump decided to send send him back to wherever he's from, right? Yeah. People a little more progressive mindset to yeah. make this. I mean, hemp, come on, you know? <laughs> no, yeah. Well, you know, it's been rolled into this whole category. And, you know, unfortunately, it's we haven't quite resolved how to kind of bifurcate the, the different products and, and uh, you know, not roll everything together. No pun intended. But uh <laughs> You know, it's, you know, we're still sorting it out. I mean, we'll see. I, I guess, I don't know, you know, from from your view, you know, we're, we're kind of doing the state by state thing, um, mm-hmm. you know, and it's slowly kind of chugging along. What, what's your prediction as an outsider, kind of what you've seen and, um, you know, how things have rolled out? I mean, where do you think, how far along do you think we are before we get federal, you know, some kind of federal uh, resolution on this that allows us to actually do interstate commerce of this for these products? Okay, so I just finished attending the Benzinga Conference in Miami. That's one of the reasons why I'm here. And um, I received, and there was three days of some really good conversations with some MSOs and with attorneys and so forth, right? And from the inside inside baseball that I was able to gather, and I'm not going to name any names, but I spoke with an attorney that is deep into the beltway. I mean, I've checked out his connections. And he basically says, like, 2021, you know, we're really looking at probably going legal then because uh, his belief is that the people that are around the current administration will be in favor of this. If for no other reason, the money is just too too yeah. great of a 
driver. As for the regulation state by state, I mean, it's a dog's breakfast. And being an MSO, in my opinion, is a complex. I don't pretend to understand it. I just look at it and think, gosh, um, the providers that can figure out how to market and distribute state by state are going to be the real winners, even more so than the ones that know how to produce. I mean, if I was in the United States, I would probably develop a company that would do nothing more than figure out how to distribute legally in each state and meet the compliance. But it is complicated. And, you know, the problem with this is that, you know, Bruce, like, let's take California, for example. I spoke with somebody, and don't hold me to these numbers, please, because I I don't think to know it, but they said that they're operating at a 32 to 37 percent disadvantage to the illegal market. And, you know, for somebody that was used to operating freely, so to speak, and then I suddenly have to take a 32 to 37 percent hit and have to deal with a sea of paperwork. I mean, I don't know. They have to they have to uh, standardize to some extent. I mean, if at the federal level, there could be an agreement where, hey, let's just tax this like 10 percent excise tax and split the you know the, the lolly between the, the state and the, and the federal government. That might be the answer, you know, because the compliance is just absurd. Oh, and yeah, it just stymies the, the industry. Yeah. And I have to say, by the way, Columbia, too, uh, anybody who thinks that, oh, yeah, it's easy to get a license in Columbia, like, good luck with that. It's actually <laughs> very complicated. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, and unfortunately, Canada is like that, too. Yeah. Uh, if anything, I think a country like Panama and you know, this would be a subject of a separate conversation, I believe. It might get it right that they're going to simplify it and just get smart about it. But we'll see. We'll see what we see. Yeah. You know, I, you know, who, who knows? I mean, one thing I know about government bureaucrats, they know how to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, what, what can I say? Ontario, October 17th. Pot is legalized, and in two days, the stores sell out. I mean, for decades, we've had balanced supply and demand. The government gets involved, and they just screw that up. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I do think, I mean, the one interesting thing of the state by state thing is like each state has kind of taken a different approach. It's like a different experiment. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, that didn't work. Let's try something different next time. So, I mean, yes. And and ultimately when we get to the federal level, there's going to have to be some standardization uh, at a minimum, if not simplification, just, um, you know, any multi-state operator right now, uh, it is a cluster because it's, you know, having to you know, one set, one state set of regulations and processes is so different from the next that mm. you can't, like, you literally have to set up different organizations or, or different processes for each state because each one is different. So that's not efficient. It's not going to work at a federal level. No. So in terms of where you see opportunities right now, I know you're kind of focused in the in this kind of cultivation sector right now. Where do you see, like, if you, you know, in terms of the folks listening to this podcast that are interested in, you know, thinking about getting into the cannabis space in mm-hmm. various forms, where do you see the interesting opportunities? What areas would you suggest kind of people look at or in- investigate in terms of new kind of product services? Uh, where, where are the where are the un- unclaimed or unexploited areas of the sector right now? Well, Americans are absolute geniuses at branding and marketing, and that's the strength that should be leveraged. And yeah. think global about this, right? So, if I was not interested in cultivation, which I think will be only a small part of the value chain, it just happens that I like farming. I actually yeah. getting a kick out of it. Yeah. But if you put that if you put that aside, right, uh, the bulk of the money is going to be made in the distribution side, and it'll be kind of creating you know proper brands that appeal to specific market segments. And I think you're going to have to go deep into those segments, right? Like for example, my wife is co CEO of Saviandina, right, and she's uh, there. She's working with other doctors to create products to address needs specific. To women, right? In terms of cannabinoids that will help them to deal with, you know, certain physiological conditions, you know, 
in certain yeah. matters. I'm not just talking about you know monthly cycles. I'm talking about other things as well. So yeah. like, for example, cannabis was used in ancient times to assist women through childbirth, right? And yeah. that could be an, an example of an application. I mean, it, it's just like you sit there, you look at the medical side and you say, wow, what conditions are there? What has cannabis been shown to be effective for? And work with that, right? And yeah. you don't have to be a genius. You don't have to have a you know double PhD after your name to do any of this stuff. You just have to have the vision and the courage and the dedication. Yeah. So what would I do? I mean, maybe I would open up a bed and breakfast, a button breakfast, so to speak. Yeah. Sounds trivial, but that's not hard to do, right? You know, just create a carve out a special place in your little hotel or whatever where people can congregate and smoke and have it contained, right? So it doesn't bother anybody. And, you know, maybe eventually have a little bar and offer like 20 different strains and say, well, you know, here's our standard product. But, you know, if you want to try this mid range, we have this. And oh my gosh, we're going to have this really high end, you know, super quality Santa Marta, uh, left side of the mountain. And, you know, <laughs> picked at 5 a.m. type of thing and people will buy it. Right. Yeah. So the sale is, if I was in the United States and I was a young person, that's what I would focus on. Frankly, yeah. I wouldn't even necessarily do the Green Acres thing that I'm doing. I'm not trying to discourage anybody from it. I'm just saying that I think that that's going to be a fantastic opportunity. It just happens that I'm actually enjoying the cultivation side. There's just yeah. something cool about walking through a bunch of plants and looking at them and smelling them and experiencing them and just realizing this was a seed, you know, maybe a few months ago. And now here's this beautiful plant. Yeah, but you know, that's where I am in my life, right? You well, know? I, you know, actually, I'll I'll say I think part of this is you know finding finding something that really energizes you and you're right. you're passionate around. I mean, I think I I, I like the idea that you're um you know you that 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 has personal satisfaction or you mm -hmm. know personal appeal to to get And I think any anything you do in business, I mean, I think this applies to any kind of business. Is you know yes. it, it is hard, <laughs> and so you oh, better yes. enjoy it at some level. <laughs> and exactly. um, you know, and finding something that you're passionate about and and trying to uh, you know then find the opportunity in the kind of space. You don't you know not everyone needs to set up a grow or dispensary. Right. Like figure out you know what are you good at, what do you like doing. Uh, what are you an expert in outside of the space? Figure out how to bring it into the space and make it cannabis specific. So uh, that's a theme that comes a lot on this program is just help figuring out what do you do really well right now? And then how can you apply it to the cannabis space? Those are great businesses to start. Well, you know, Bruce, further to your point very quickly, for those that yeah. are in technology, and I have to have a little experience yeah. in this area, yeah. right? Internet of Things applications will be absolutely fantastic in this space, right? Um, you're talking about agricultural. I think you're going to see the third agricultural revolution. I believe that in 10 years hence from now, you you as a person will be able to grow your own vegetables and fruits using some of the tech that has been developed from the cannabis space yeah. and create really healthy products at much lower cost than what you would pay in your grocery store. So if I was in the grocery business, I'd be looking at how I could start producing instead of doing, you know, buying the salad that came 3000 miles from Mexico and that yeah. was irradiated the border, right? Producing healthy foods. So uh, the ramifications are just incredible. You know, yeah. and on the technology side, I, I can think of a hundred different ways to apply tech that could make the business better and more effective. Yeah, that's the fun part of this business. It's not, sure. you know, it's not just about the plant. It's about how do we really, you know, create a new industry and a new supply chain, yes. you know, a new economy around it. So, John, this has been great, great conversation. I've enjoyed. Uh, I've learned a couple of interesting things, and maybe I'll try to get down to Columbia and we can uh, check out some of the grows. I would love that. But thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, I'll look forward to kind of keeping in touch and, and hearing how things play out for you. And it's uh, it's been a pleasure. Let me know how I can be a further service to you. Look forward to chatting with you anytime, Bruce. This is fun. <laughs> Thanks, John. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. 
visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.